you're like, okay, cool. So how's that working for you? (laughs) And they go, it's miserable. (laughs) I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I feel stuck. It doesn't seem to do any difference. I I just, I mean, rescue is create victims. So people are even more victim-y around me. It's, ah, it's frustrating. And I'm like, I know you're working hard. It's like, yes, I'm working hard. I'm doing everybody's job except my own. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 051, everyone. It is the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. It is so great to have you here. If you're new to the show, this is your weekly dose of both business savvy and emotional intelligence. And in addition, there's oftentimes a bit of inspiration. I help you master your mindset, dominate your fears, unleash your amazing, and live your most effective self. So to get started today, I want to share with you about our experience last night. We had to deal with a very stinky dog. Our 80-plus pound Labradoodle got into a small pool at the dog park this past weekend, and he's been smelling pretty atrocious ever since. And the first day I noticed the stench, I bathed him. And after that, he was still stinky. And then the next night, I bathed him again, only this time I added uh, apple cider vinegar into all the mix and some baking soda. He was still stinky. So last night, my wife and I, we spent a couple hours clipping out all of the clumps in his thick, curly fur. His undercoat had gone all Rastafarian on us, and it seems the knots have taken on some sort of bacteria. And so upon the removal of each knot, a sour bouquet of aroma would embrace us. And it was a terrible experience. Our dog, he kind of now looks a little silly and uh, his freshly shorn legs. Uh, But we're fairly confident uh, we've removed um, that which was responsible for the rank invasion of our smelling faculties. Now, I, I don't mean to gross you out, but to say this. Sometimes there's parts to our lives that can't be treated or fixed. They simply need to be cut out and removed. In my coaching practice, I occasionally have to speak bluntly regarding a habit or a thought process in one of my clients. And we often have these elements that we have to take off in order that we might take on something new, something different. And this is obviously easier to say than do, right? Well, today we're discussing cutting out the temptation to always have an answer for everything your team or teams demand. We're going to be talking about coaching from a different perspective than perhaps how I do it in my daily practice. Um, It's not one necessarily of a motivational or a goal achieving level, you know, like I said, like I would do per se, but from more of an empowering technique for busy managers and leaders. We're going to talk about shutting down your advice monster, as our guest calls it. I love that, the advice monster. 
Our guest is the founder and senior partner of Box of Crayons, a company that has uh, helped people and organizations all over the world uh, do less good work and more great work. Box of Crayons is best known for its coaching programs, and they give busy managers the tools to coach in 10 minutes or less. He's written a number of books, but his latest is The Coaching Habit, and it's been praised as one of the few business books that actually makes people laugh out loud, and I would agree because I actually laughed out loud several times. So today, I'm speaking with Michael Bungay-Stanier. Let's jump into that interview right now. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. I'm your host, Angus Nelson. I am here talking with Michael Bungay-Stranier. Did I get that right, Michael? No, no, Dang you didn't get it right. You, better, you did as good a job as most people do, which is to get it slightly wrong. So here's how I say it, Michael Bungay-Stranier. Oh, you, you made it Michael Bungay-Strainer. Which, well, um, which is better than Michael Banging Spaniel, which is something I got once on a letter. So, you know, on the scale of things, you're doing okay. I should have just read off the cover of your book because it's <laughs> spelt right there. Some way when I uh, typed it out on my little little Google Doc here, there's an R that crept in there. But, you know, I'm Angus, so typically people, like, leave out the G and I'm just left as a dirty hole. <laughs> You know, I have a brother called Angus, so I'm going to have to pass that on to him. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Brotherly love. That's so, right. Michael, what made you smile the biggest yesterday? Ah, you know, i tell you what it was. Um, so we're actually going through a bit of a uh, reorg in our small business. My wife, Marcella, who is actually my business partner, and she is kind of the woman who for the last five years has been running the company. Um, you know, she's the, (laughs) one of her titles once was the vice president of everything else. (laughs) It's pretty, pretty accurate. But anyway, she's decided that her work here is done. And so she's transitioning out. And it means that we're all kind of trying to figure out how we fill the gap that she's going to leave. And yesterday, uh, Marlene, who works as kind of my assistant, but she's also really becoming the hub of the, the company in terms of how we operate ran a team meeting of which I was one part of it. And man, she just did such a good job. But it was so awesome to see her just step forward and take responsibility and handle this meeting so deftly. So that left me feeling pretty happy. Oh, that's cool. So out of curiosity, what's on your mind? (laughs) See, for those listeners who don't know, I'm I'm getting jujitsu with my own questions and my own phrases from this uh, this new book I have out called The Coaching Habit. So what's on my mind is knowing that I can see you know we've got a video on so we can see each other and you're in Nashville and there's a cool maybe a steel string guitar up on your wall there and I'm like okay I'm being outcooled by Angus here how do I <laughs> rise to the challenge and like meet the man where he is so this is a good interview for everybody. I think the book alone is fantastic. And um, I want to totally talk to you about this book. And as we said, just pre-interview role, like, I also want to kind of, you know, go into beyond the book. And so we're going to have some fun today. So let's just start there. The book is called The Coaching Habit. Say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever. Right. How did that all come about? Take us back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. Well, um, 
Well, so Box of Crayons is about 15 or 16 years old. And when it started, we just moved to Toronto. We, we, we actually had lived in Boston before then. Our tickets were out on 9-11. So it meant that when I got to Toronto, actually the job I had lined up had vanished. Um, and so out of necessity, as much as anything else, I started Box of Crayons. And when I started, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Grew up. And I, I started off as a coach and, um, you know, I, I learned how to, to coach. And it was a kind of culmination of going, you know, I spent my whole life being pretty good at listening and pretty good at asking questions. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I did, you know, teenage crisis counseling at high school and university and stuff like that. And, and the way my business, Box of Crayons, has evolved is we've, we've, we've turned out to have a very niche thing that we do, which is we're entirely focused on giving busy managers and busy leaders the practical tools so they can coach in 10 minutes or less. Because for us, coaching is just one of those foundational skills that makes everybody's life better. You know, it helps people feel more engaged. It gives people more autonomy. It gives people more focus. It gives people more resilience. It's just a more human way of showing up with each other. And so that's become our focus. And, you know, we, I've spent lots of time and lots of hours teaching lots of people with my team about how to be an effective, practical coach in the busy lives we have where we're being pulled this way and that way. And so the book is uh, in some ways uh, a natural outgrowth of just it's a good thing for the business. You know, it's – I mean, honestly, if anybody's listening and going, I think I should write a book – my my question back to you is why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> because it's, because it's, uh, it's 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 mostly a miserable experience. You know, it's hard. Your first draft is crappy. Your second draft is crappy. Your third draft is crappy. You doubt yourself. You doubt your book. Once you're in your sixth draft, it's not so crappy, but you kind of think it's pointless because I've said uh, there's nothing here that hasn't been said. And, you know, then when you finally get the book out in the world, whether you've self-published it or got a, a, a publisher, basically nobody buys it and reads it. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, you, know, I, you don't know this, but um, I actually just committed, uh, just signed a contract this week uh, for my third book. Um, so I'm and about look, to subject you're, you're myself. You're a 22-year-old man. You've lost all your hair and you're gray. I mean, <laughs> I rest my case. Rest my case. <laughs> But there are times where it does make sense. That, you know, one of the times is when you're like, I've got, a, I've got something to say and I really need to say it and I can do it in a way that's interesting and different and, and, and elegant. Um, and connected to that is if you have a business that kind of this book can help with the business, it becomes financially sensible. So for us, it's financially sensible to write a book that hopefully makes people go, oh, a box of crayons, that's, what's that about? And ah, maybe right. we'll buy a program or two. So... It's a combination of things, Angus. You know, partly I had this um, – I mean, this book almost killed me. I mean, it's my fifth book. I, had, I wrote four bad versions of it before I wrote a good version of it. And I kept trying to walk away from it, and it kept kind of pulling me back, going, no, this is the book. It's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was like – and it helps, and it has a business reason driving it as well. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I kind of like the way the book is kind of formulated. Um, you sunk some kind of deep stuff uh, after you get through all the practical, because let's be, let's be honest, you're really straightforward. Here are the seven questions. Mm -hmm. Done. 
And you don't really break them down much more than that is to, except for methodology and, and timing and, you know, some of that sequence. But then later on, you talk about some other stuff that's a little bit deeper. And um, it's kind of like you tease everybody out to think like, oh, there's nothing else here. Okay, I'm coming in for landing. And then you're like, oh, let's see what this is really all about. And um, some of that stuff, uh, yeah, I, I actually was was kind of shocked because I was so I was cruising along just oh it's all cool and then wow there's some depth here so I want to dive into some of that stuff so let's, sure, let's start with um, the the principles of learning how to lead now this is not um, the coaching of um, you know sitting down putting someone on a couch like a psychotherapist no. this is but not the opposite of that yeah it's not um the things that sometimes people's mind goes to we're not going to talk about your childhood or you know the weird you know freudian this that and the other this is particularly yours angus we oh. really don't want to go there that would be <laughs> ugly I mean, I don't know you, but just looking at you, I can tell I don't want to talk about your childhood or really even your, your present that much. But sorry, ah, that's I digress. Awesome. And so beyond the coaching here, you kind of make it like those small pivotal opportunities that we have every day to lead and support our teams. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the stand I take on this. The first is I'm not trying to turn anybody into a coach. I want managers and leaders to be more coach-like. That's it. Uh, honestly, there, there are probably too many coaches in the world, <laughs> and some of them aren't very good. So, and, and, a, and a bunch of normal people, when you say, I want you to be a coach, they're like, that's honestly the last thing I want. And I'm like, I, I agree with you, but I want you to be more coach-like because that's just a more effective leadership tool that you're underutilizing at the moment. And then the other thing is to say, look, I want you to understand that um, being, being more coach-like in its essence, it's actually pretty simple. It's like stay curious a little bit longer, rush to advice giving and action just a little bit slower. Because honestly, you are an advice giving maniac. I mean, you don't even you don't even know what the problem is, but you're pretty sure you have a quick answer to solve it. And then the the third is to recognize that every interaction with somebody, and this is not just in person, but it's on the phone and actually by email or IM or whatever, Pokemon Go can be a little, can be a little more coach-like, you know? Yeah. Uh, I give people this example, you know, one of the, the opening question, the, 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 the kickstart question is, so what's, what's on your mind? Um, but actually, let me go to the third one, which is, uh, uh, what's the real challenge here for you, the focus question? So here's mm-hmm. an example. You know those emails, Angus, you get from people sometimes that are, long <laughs> you know there's those dense emails so you can't scan it and bang out a quick response you're like god and you you read it and then you read it again and then you type in okay see my answer below and then you, after every paragraph you add your thoughts contributions suggestions as it goes and it basically takes you 15 minutes to process a single email so here's how you save a ton of time as a busy manager you go great Hey, uh, Angus, thanks for the email, man. Lots going on for you here. Type, type, type. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, what's the real challenge here in all of this for you? Send. And here's what happens. You, Angus, on the other end of this goes, oh, my God, he's just gone on a training course or he's just read a book. Damn him. <laughs> right. But what you're doing is actually making them do the work rather than you having to do the work to figure out what this is all about. And, you know, in our programs and in the book, we go, look, there are three principles to be a, a more effective coach, more coach-like as a busy manager. Be lazy, be curious, be often. 
So be curious. You get that already. Ask more questions. Recognize you've got a real inclination towards giving advice. Be often. Every interaction can be more coach-like. And be lazy is allow them to do the work, not just for your sake, but for their sake as well, because that's how they get smarter and more capable and more self-sufficient and more autonomous. Be lazy. Be curious. Be often. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, and here's the thing most of us don't realize that there are simple tools that make life simple. Right. We try and make things more complex. Exactly. And out of our own narcissism, our own sense of chaos, our own ego, I don't know, but... Well, it's, it's hard. I mean, there's a, you know, that great quote from, um, I always forget his name. He's a famous American jurist. Anyway, he says something like, Look, I don't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give anything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm. And doing the work to get through the mess to figure out where, what this simple, elegant answer is, that's, that's kind of hard. So that's also part of the resistance because it just takes work to figure this stuff out. So the first part is someone comes up to you and they want to interrupt your day, A, mm. that's what they're doing. And then they're going to put something on you that they demand your time, your attention, your affection, your uh, intelligence. And the biggest compulsion right there when someone asks you something, and you say it here in the book, you you call it the advice monster. Yeah. So now they've teased the advice monster, and what is it that we want to do? We want to give the advice. Of course. Because uh, here's why. Uh, Primarily because you're a good person and you're trying to be helpful. Um. Well, maybe that's the second reason. The first reason is because you've been doing that all your life, so it's a habit. Secondly, you're a good person, you have a good heart, you're actually trying to be helpful. Thirdly, you think to yourself, this is the fastest thing to do, it'll just get them out of my office. Fourthly, and here it gets a bit more subtle, a bit messy, it's kind of nice to give advice because you're in control when you're doing that. Like you're the smart person, you have the status, you have the control of the conversation, you're adding value, you're the boss. But the problem is that most of your advice isn't that good because you don't really know what's going on. And honestly, even the good advice doesn't get listened to or acted upon that much. So let me give people a a really specific habit, something really practical for them. So Angus walks into my cubicle. He goes, Michael, how do I blah, 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 blah. And even though every fiber of my body is twitching now because I'm like, it's my opportunity to give advice and add value. Instead of doing that, I'm going to go, you know, Angus, I've actually got some ideas on how to do that. Um, I'm going to share them with you for sure. But before I do, just let me ask you, what, what are your first thoughts on tackling that yourself? And whatever Angus says, I'm going to nod my head. I'm going to look interested. And when he finishes, I'm going to go, that's great. I love it. What else could you do, Angus? What else could you do? Okay, this is great. Anything else you could do? Okay, this is fantastic. Great ideas. Here's my one additional thought. Um, now, with all of that, what, what will you do? And the habit there is this. When somebody asks you for advice or a solution, nod your head and go, look, great question. I've got some thoughts. I will share them with you because you're not going to leave them hanging in a lurch. You're going to help them mm-hmm. out. But before I do, let me just ask you, what are your first thoughts? And what else? And what else? And what else? And then you get to add your piece at the end if you want to, just to remind them that you're actually the smartest person in the room after all. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, there is some nuance to all that because I remember reading that part and just saying, this is genius. Oh my gosh, where has this been all my life? <laughs> and I shared it with my wife uh, who used to work for a university. She was director of enrollment. So she had to deal with all the bureaucracy that is mm-hmm. you know, higher learning. And a lot of the people that worked under her would barge into her cubicle and interrupt her day. And she would have to be putting out fires all day long, constantly interrupted. Right. And so I posed that question to her, and she actually had some great insight. She said, I completely agree with almost all that, but what happens and what is the tension of some of the things where you actually become part of the bottleneck? Because there are times when they do need you to give those answers. Like, how do you wrestle with those tensions of understanding, like, you still have to do something. Yeah, sure. So sometimes the thing to do is give them the answer. Angus comes into my office and goes, hey, Michael, where do I find the folder on the blah? And I go, Angus, how are you feeling about the folder? Okay, that's a useless thing to do. That's just annoying for everybody. (laughs) Right. So, look, sometimes give them the answer because that's the fastest, easiest, appropriate thing to do. But our problem here is not people asking questions too much and not giving enough advice. It's the other way around. So it's like let's just work on building up that. Can I ask him a few more questions? Can I resist the rush to action and advice a little bit longer? This, mm-hmm. I mean, Daniel Goleman, who lots of people will know the name of, he's the guy who popularized uh, emotional intelligence. You know, um, he wrote an article for Harvard Business Review, two, year 2000, I think it was, called Leadership That Gets Results. And he basically says, look, there are actually six styles of leadership. All of them are useful in certain contexts at certain times. And all of them have both advantages and disadvantages as well. And coaching was one of those leadership styles. It was the least utilized of those leadership styles, even though you could see direct correlations to kind of the biggest impact on employee engagement, the biggest impact on culture, I think the third biggest impact on bottom line profits. So it's not to throw out the other five styles of leadership. It's just trying to pump up the coaching style a little bit and make it a bigger part of the way people work. Um. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I, I want to take us from that level um, to some of the deeper level that Perfect. you, you uh, got into. I, here. I'll, I'll attempt to go deep. You have so, to know that. Here's a funny aside. So, um, <laughs> so my very first book, about, it's about 10 years old now. It's, a, it's a called Get Unstuck and Get Going. It's a self-coaching book. It's like a kid's flip book. You, know, it, yeah, yeah. you open it up, there are three sections in it. And you can kind of combine them to get up to like 25,000 different combinations of questions. So I, 10 years ago, I was even less well-known than I am now. And I was trying to get you know people to write blurbs for it. And there's a guy called Benjamin Zander. And uh, he, he wrote The Art of Possibility, which is a great book. And he gives a good keynote. He's a kind of a conductor. and He's quite flamboyant. He's all about give people A's and give possibilities and don't worry about stuff too much. It's all good, good stuff. I was like, I'm going to get him to write a blurb because he's cool. So I was at a conference. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but I left it at the hotel front desk when he checked out. So he got it and I wrote a note saying how much I liked his work and maybe he'd consider him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, eventually I get this email from him going, he was quite grumpy about it. He didn't like having the book thrust upon him. And he said, I consider this to be a shallow version of chicken soup for the soul. Ouch. (laughs) And I was like, I mean, A, that's so shallow that it's just an evaporated puddle. I mean, that right, is, right. that's depthless. Yeah. Secondly, for a guy who promotes possibilities, that's, <laughs> that's pretty harsh. 
So, you know, when you say go deep, I'm like, I'm good at shallow, but I'm not sure about deep, but I'll try and do my best You, you should have just thrown that on the book just as irony. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I want to talk about neuroscience. The yes. neuroscience of engagement. Right. Do tell. Well, I mean, here's what's interesting. I mean, for years, people writing about management and leadership and all this sort of stuff just make stuff up. I mean, they're like, ah, this worked for me once in my company. It's probably true. It's, let me make it a universal thing. And they were probably right some of the time. But what's great now is we're, we're right at this kind of early days of neuroscience where you can scan people's brains and figure out what they actually do and how we actually work. And it really does tell us about how how we operate and and have science behind the kind of the art of management. And there's lots of great people around here. I'm, I'm no expert on neuroscience. I've just kind of read other people and I've read some of the studies. Um, you know, there's a guy called David Rock who's really seen as the founder of this kind of neuroleadership stuff. But I created a model that basically says this. When at five times a second your brain is scanning the environment and going, is it safe here or is it dangerous? You know, it's just a fundamental evolutionary survival thing, safe or dangerous, safe or dangerous. And, of course, the brain's always looking to be safe because its primary role is to keep you safe, keep you alive so you can spread your genes. And with this model, the Terra model, T-E-R-A, it stands for the four factors that influence the brain as to whether it feels safe or it feels dangerous. So the four factors are a sense of tribiness. Uh, you know, basically the brain is going, are you with me or are you against me? A sense of expectation. So do I know what's about to happen or do I not know what's about to happen? A sense of rank, you know, it's like, are you more important or less important than me? And a sense of autonomy, are you giving me some choices or are you making all the choices for me? And what's powerful about coaching is you find it actually plays into all of those four factors that really, you ask somebody a question and it's not you telling them what to do, which decreases a sense of tribe and a sense of autonomy and a sense of rank. Um, but when you ask them a question, it actually increases their sense of autonomy and rank and tribiness because we're in this together and maybe even expectation. So it's a really powerful way. This is what is great about coaching or asking questions is it actually feeds into the neuroscience of how you keep people engaged. And when they're engaged, they're in their prefrontal cortex. Basically means they think better, they think smarter, they think more subtly. They, you're getting the best version of that person showing up. When they're disengaged, when they're retreating, when they're kind of moving away from risk, everything gets a bit black and white, everything's a bit you versus me, everything's a bit kind of fight or flight, we're in the amygdala. So keeping, asking people a great question is a way of keeping their best brains in the service of you and them and the organization. On that same token, you talk about the uh, Cartman drama triangle. Yeah. And how that plays into not only what we're all guilty of mm. and we don't even realize it. I mean, as I'm reading it, I'm going, Oh, that just makes me sick. It's so true. <laughs> Ouch. Can you share yeah, some it, of that? Yeah. You know, it, it's a little hard. We, I know we've got like 10 minutes left or so. It's a little hard to get into it in too much depth, but I just say to the folks listening in on, on the coaching habit.com, the website, if you click on the video tab, there's a ton of good videos there and there's videos explaining the drama triangle there. So if you want to go deeper into this, you, there's a, a good resource for you. But basically it says this, uh, it's roots are in transactional analysis, which kind of give us things like 
adult to adult relationships and parent child relationships that are interesting, but almost impossible to use in an organizational context. Um, so one of the students of the guy who created TA, transactional analysis, came up with the drama triangle, Stephen Cartman. And he basically says, when things get dysfunctional, three different roles play out. There's the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer. And you can guess what these three roles look like and sound like. Victim, kind of whiny, it's too hard, my life's so unfair, it's their fault, I can't do anything. And there are advantages to playing the victim. You have no responsibility, you have no accountability, none of it's your fault, you've always got other people to blame, but there are big disadvantages to playing that. You know, you feel stuck, you feel powerless, you can't do anything, you're kind of sad and lonely and frustrated. Um, and so too with the persecutor, the kind of the bully and the rescuer, the let me jump in and fix it and sort it and solve it. And all three roles are equally dysfunctional. The rescuer sounds a bit better than the other two, but don't be fooled by that. And, uh, and you bounce around all of these roles all of the time. You know, you're, you're constantly bouncing. As soon as things get just a little bit off, you'll be triggered into one role or the other, and then you could instantly get triggered into another role, and you can kind of go around the drama triangle with somebody. Um, I mean, even, I mean, to everybody listening in, here's a quick exercise. What I want you to do is I want you to think of the most annoying person you're currently working with. And you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? And can you feel how in an instant when I ask you that, part of you gets that little flare up of like, I want to kill this person. They're, oh, they're driving me crazy. That's the persecutor. Part of you goes into a victim mode. Oh, it's so hard. It's not fair. I try to get them onto my, somebody else's team, but nobody will take them. And part of you moves into rescuer mode, which is, you know, I'll just keep opening my veins and bleeding in the carpet to try and make this person functional. So you see, in an instant, you get all through the drama triangle. And when you're in the drama triangle, you're in a reactive mode where the, not the best version of yourself is showing up. And when you ask people, you know, and you play all three roles, but you, you have a default role you play most often, which role is that? Here's what happens. Almost 90% of people, if not more, self-identify with the rescuer mode. Yeah. You're like, okay, cool. So how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah. And they go, it's miserable. <laughs> I'm working, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted, I feel stuck, it doesn't seem to do any difference. I, I just, I mean, rescuers create victims, so people are even more victim-y around me. It's, ah, it's frustrating. And I'm like, I know you're working hard. It's like, yes, I'm working hard. I'm doing everybody's job except my own. And that's this whole piece around being lazy we talked about earlier on, which is, Actually, overworking is highly overrated because typically you're in a rescuer mode. You're, you're, you're overworking yourself. You're feeling burnt out. You're keeping other people stuck and disempowered. You're frustrating people. You're pacifying people. All with a good intentions, all a good heart, all kind of reactive. And shifting out of the drama triangle can be really powerful. How do you do that? Well, honestly, having some good coaching questions takes you a long way out of the drama triangle. That's fantastic. So I want to ask you about you to get up in your business. Yeah. Where has this played out in your life where you've either failed as the leader side of this coaching or somebody in your life in the past that has been a bad leader and hasn't been that coaching model for you? Well, you know, what's amazing is I have never been a bad leader. I've always been almost flawless in the way that I've shown up. <laughs> So I can't really speak to that. But man, I've had some terrible managers myself. But yeah. Oh, so, which yeah, one was so, that in the drama triangle again? Yeah, that's just dilute it, right? Okay, right. Um, 
Oh, you know, uh, well, I, I, I'll tell you, um, I have, I, I mean, I have all sorts of times where I've been a terrible manager and a leader, continues on to this very day. Also, I've had moments where I've been driven crazy by managers and leaders, as have we all. Um, you know, I had a, a manager once, uh, we we're going through a change program. We were part of a change team to help this company rebrand and change its kind of values and also its behaviors associated with that. So living the brand sort of stuff. And we ended up giving her the name Red Dot. Because you know in a movie when the assassin trains their laser rifle onto your head, this little red dot yeah. appears just before you get eviscerated? Kind of what working with her was like. You know, the weekly meetings would show up and her, her aim would land on somebody and metaphorical red dot would appear and everybody else would be moving their chairs <laughs> out of the way to try and <laughs> – because it, it was brutal. And, you know, even though I knew what was happening, because at the end of every week at the time I was doing a kind of debrief around how was my week through the lens of the drama triangle. And every debrief pretty much was the same, which was like she's a red dot persecutor. I spend my time being a victim and a rescuer, just bouncing between mm -hmm. the two. Um, and, of course, what happens is it infects other people. So I spend, a, I spend a day being a victim at work. I come home, I kick the cat, shout at the wife. She moves into rescuer mode. I move into victim mode. She gets fed up with me whining the whole time, moves into persecutor mode, and the whole thing kind of contaminates itself from there. So it's, it's like a harder question would be to ask, when are you not being in the drama triangle, Michael? Right, right. <laughs> and I think that's part of the quest for all of us is that maturity and character and, gosh, adulthood. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we are all in the drama triangle and will be for the rest of our lives. The secret is how quickly can you recognize you're in the drama triangle? How fast can you pull yourself out of it? What's the mode of recognition and the shift of behavior? How long can you stay out of it until you get sucked into it again and notice it again? So it's just, it's a bit like meditation. You know, it's like the whole point of meditation is just to keep noticing when you're failing. Mm. <laughs> and, and let it go by. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you go, oh, there I did it. It happened again. Of course it did. Yeah. That's what happened. You're a human being. That's what happens. Yeah. Just get back on the cushion and start following your breath again. I love it. And uh, I imagine the transition with um, the box of crayons right now is is probably in the heat of a lot of that as people are trying to figure out where's their place, right. where's their home. Right. So there's all sorts of – it's just useful to watch to go how – you know, not only can we as individuals trigger each other within box of crayons, but the event, we can frame the event as the persecutor. Marcella's leaving box of crayons. Oh, it's so unfair. She was my partner. Now she's not. I'm into whiny victim mode or I could go into rescue mode. Don't worry. I'll look after everybody. I'll give it all to me. I'll sort it out. Just, uh, it's fine. No, don't worry about it. I just had to. So, you know, it's like watching yourself and going, Am I reacting or am mm. I actually at choice in terms of how I want to respond to this? Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, some other highlights in the book that I, I just had to highlight, you know, that silence is often a measure of success. We ask a question and then hush, right. don't say a word. Right. Because but, that and, person, but then we panic because right? there's, a whole, there's a two second wait before they say anything. And you're like, you know what? What it means is either they're an introvert and they're actually figuring it out and you've given them the time to work through it. Or they're not and you've asked a good question and they're trying to figure out what the answer is. They're working 
or you've asked a terrible question and they're going, what the hell is going on here? You know, yeah. but typically it'll be one of the first two rather than the third. And then you also talked about actually listening for the answer, that this isn't a practice where you just go through protocol. You don't just follow the steps and not be engaged. You have to be engaged. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, by the way, I love the way that you uh, use this analogy or metaphor. Uh, in any case, the wheel is spinning, but the hamster is dead. <laughs> yeah, I, no mind. I stole that from somebody else. I don't know who, but it's a great one, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, probably, I'll probably steal it for something myself. Please um, do. And then uh, another tidbit out of here is a yes is nothing without the no that gives it boundaries and form. Right. Oh, brilliant. I love this stuff. So as we come in for a close, um, I've got one more piece out of the book I want to read. But before I do, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, Michael, how can they do that? Well, look, if you're interested in finding out more about the book, and like I say, there's just a ton of free stuff there. So you don't really have to buy the book. You can just pillage it for free resources. Thecoachinghabit.com is the place to go. If you're interested in the programs we have and what we offer uh, teams and organizations, boxofcrayons.biz, B-I-Z or B-I-Z, depending on where you are in the world. Um, and if you want to reach out on, on LinkedIn, um, I'm the only Michael Bungay Stanier. Bungay Stanier is actually my surname. It's like there's an invisible hyphen there. So LinkedIn is good and Twitter as well, perhaps box of, at Box of Crayons on Twitter. Fantastic. And I, it, there's a bonus here. You can get the ebook version of this if you have the hard copy or the paperback copy. Um, and so I want to just kind of leave us with this because this was something that, um, well, I'm a twofold. One is this. You asked the question, what do you want? Right. And this was a response that you gave in here. We often don't know what we actually want. Even if there's a first fast answer, the question, but what do you really want? will typically stop people in their tracks. But even if we do know what we want, what you really, really want is often hard to ask for. We make up reasons about why it's not appropriate just now to make the request. It's because the timing is not right, or the person's only going to say no, or uh, who are you anyway to make such a bold face ask? What we want is often left unsaid. And with that, I want to say, don't be afraid of what you want. This book has a lot of little tidbits in and amongst what you think you're going to find. There's more. And the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's actually <laughs> taken place. That quote by Bernard Shaw. Go check out this book. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks. That was fun. Thanks so much to uh, Michael Bungay-Stanier for a great time on this interview. I really enjoyed it. I think he and I would um, really have a good time hanging out over a pint or two. Um, for those of you wishing to take advantage of my coaching programs, either as part of a mastermind group or the one I lead of one-on-ones uh, for just you and I, it's the last call to take advantage of all the bonus materials I've made available for our Founders Circle. Uh, you get 50% off of my services if you use the promo code that I've released through our private Facebook group. I've also sent it out through our newsletter and my Angus Nelson fan page. I've kept this private on a small scale just to help and serve those of you that have been with me from the beginning. Uh, 
And uh, as such, you're going to get access to my future products, including my book uh, coming out next year, uh, Empowering Work, and you'll be part of an exclusive community that I'll be staying very close to. You'll have influence over a lot of the stuff that I'll be developing. That deadline is midnight central standard time on August 23rd. And this offer is never going to be available again. So please jump online and connect with one of the destinations to access your promo code now. That's going to save you 50%. So has all of this been a help to you today? Let me know your thoughts on uh, or thoughts on today's program. Ask me any questions you might have. Come and find me on Twitter. I'm at Angus Nelson. If you're looking for any of the links uh, and show notes for this episode, you want to jump into our private Facebook group like I spoke about just momentarily ago, you can visit AngusNelson.com forward slash 051 for all of that. And Other than that, I am your host, Angus Nelson. Go ahead and tell your friends about our show because the greatest compliment you can give is a referral to someone else, either by telling them in person or sharing on the web. Keep taking your business up by getting up in your business. Live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com. <laughs>